Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss X-Men number 39, the December 1967 issue, entitled The Fateful Finale. God, I bet you everything changes this episode. I mean, issue. Well, according to the cover, we get new costumes, new thrills. Yeah, not even just according to the text, but we get to see a battle-posing X-Men, X-Men cover in all new outfits. Marvel Girl has her, I don't know what you would call it, but her green outfit that she gets all the way up through Phoenix Saga. Spoilers. <laughs> Beast gets his outfit that he gets pretty much all the way until he turns into blur f- blue furry beast. Spoilers. I don't know what Angel's wearing, but I don't think it ling- <laughs> I don't think it stays that way for too long anyways. It's a pretty hideous costume. He's got like a blue face mask and suspenders and a yellow skin tight jacket thing and orange tights. It's like they threw a couple of colors together and just went with it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then Cyclops, he's kind of in his traditional blue and yellow togs, which will change and morph throughout the career of Cyclops. But this is basically the the defining, the definitive co- costume of Cyclops, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Iceman, uh, I don't know what he gets. A pair of boots, I guess. His belt is now says X on it. Ah, his frozen belt. Yes. Okay. And uh, he's throwing a snowball, but nobody else is really doing anything. So, you know. This is the cover of the second omnibus. Get out of here. It makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, The end of the Dread Mutant Master or the X-Men. Don't miss, as you said, the fateful finale. I'm going to guess, seeing as there is an issue 40, that this is going to be the end of the Dread Mutant Master. Yeah, you don't think it's the end of the X-Men? Well... I suppose it could be like the Mutant Master comic from now on. Sure, why not? Hmm. Let's read on and find out. Uh, This particular issue is uh, enthusiastically endorsed by Stan Lee, and it is brought to you by the team of Roy Thomas and Don Heck. And we'll get to him in a second. And then we've got Vince Coletta as the inker, Artie Simic as the letterer. Hey Jeremy. Yeah. We got we got another letter. We did. From our resident fact finder. Yes. Brandon Purdue. From Manchester. UK. UK. Um he decided that after we mentioned Don Heck, I don't know, an episode or two ago on his um I don't know, his introduction to the X Men. Uh, Don Heck, that is, that he would do a little bit of research because he hadn't actually heard his name all too much uh, before we mentioned him, and he turned out that apparently this was much later in his comics drawing career, and he was more into um, horror comic books and uh, other things that had preceded the superhero boom, and apparently that's why he's not very good on the X-Men or maybe a contributing factor. Uh, but, yeah, different styles. Yeah, and but apparently he was a co-creator of Iron Man and did the art on the Avengers for its early years. So he is a important contributor to Marvel, I guess. Uh, and I guess he moved on to work on uh, Wonder Woman, The Flash, The Justice Society of America, and a bunch of other DC titles throughout the 70s and 80s. And uh, he died in 1995. So we can make a lot of fun of him. <laughs> Boy, Don Heck, you are a terrible X-Men drawer. Thank you, Brandon. You are you are officially our resident, um, I don't know, we need to come up with a cool title for Brandon. I think resident expert is just fine. 
Oh, yeah. Duh. <laughs> expert. Resident expert. Or a danger room research intern, you know, whichever. <laughs> <laughs> since since the gig pays nothing, the latter might be more appropriate, but, uh, you know. Expert intern. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So anyways, back to the, the tale. Um it, when last we left, uh, when last we left the X Men, they were in two various, or two precarious um, scenarios. Cyclops and Iceman were basically battling the United States Air Force, trying to destroy all of their nuclear armaments. Yeah, and then Beast, Angel, and Marvel Girl were in the Soviet Union, and evidently uh, a wall has fallen on the Blob's head, as you can <laughs> see on that second monitor there. They were um, captured. Yeah, so they took quick work of the Blob. Uh, he will. He, it's a sad day because I really did like the Blob and uh, <laughs> was hoping that we'd see him in future X Men comic books. But he has no head. Um, it's very. It's very sad. <laughs> so the mutant master is kind of gloating over. Ha ha ha! Look at this predicament that I've created for the X Men. Nobody will ever suspect that it was I, or something like that. What an obnoxious villain! Yes. So, let's join Marv or let's join Cyclops and Iceman at that Air Force base, shall we? They're being attacked by the uh, Air Force planes, who are, I don't know, firing bombs at them. It looks like. Yeah, well, they're trying to stop them from destroying the nukes. I think. Isn't that kind of dangerous? <laughs> Bombing the area that the <laughs> nukes are at, probably. Yeah. Uh, Iceman forms an ice shield. It creates a glare, and the glare. Oh, yes, yes. The glare is so intense that the uh, space or the uh, airplanes have to pull up because they, I don't know, can't get their bearings or something. Then Iron Man goes on a killing spree where he freezes a whole bunch of soldiers. Yeah, one would think. Except, so I want to analyze these two panels. So he does freeze one of the the soldiers in a block of ice. And in the first panel here, the the third panel on the page, the the soldier who's frozen in the block of ice is talking, which we could then presume maybe his head isn't frozen. But right. we move to the next panel, it looks like his head is completely encased in ice. Ah, but it's a different soldier. Oh, but that soldier who's completely encased in ice is also talking. He didn't freeze his lips. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just his blue little lips are sticking out of this ice sculpture. You'll never get away with this. <laughs> yeah, he sounds muffled. <laughs> Cyclops shakes his head and says, Iceman, geez, you got to stop that. This is like the 10th person you've killed this month. Uh, Just because your ice trick doesn't work on supervillains doesn't mean you have to go after regular people with it. Jeez. These, these are U.S. citizens, Iceman, for God's sakes. They're sworn to protect our country, and here you are freezing them, <laughs> freezing their internal organs. I like this fourth panel where the air filtration system says do not touch and it looks like Cyclops is putting one lone finger about to touch it. It looks like he's doing the I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you <laughs> to the thing that says do not touch. Uh, so apparently, if we go back, the original plan was to fill up the filtration system with some gas that would maybe control their minds or knock them out or something to make it so that nuclear missiles would fire. The plan that Iceman and Cyclops come up with is to freeze the air filtration system so that that gas won't be able to get through. And that's what they do. So the uh, air is no longer filtered. Yes. Now it's just dirty air. <laughs> it's tough. They get attacked by some giant tentacles, uh, Coming out of nowhere, Adam, which, honestly, they do not look like giant tentacles. Yeah, that might look like a giant tentacle to you, but to me it <laughs> looks like Colossus's appendage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like a giant tentacle, I'll give you that. Okay. But so, it's... apparently Iceman shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Colossus is humping him madly, <laughs> even though we haven't met Colossus yet. Okay, anyways... They do refer to them as tentacles, and they say, use your powers fast before any of the guards get there. And uh, Iceman says, no, that's not going to work. These tentacles are huge. And uh, Cyclops concurs that his eye beams are useless. But then we see that Mastermind is in the corner of the room. You know, Mastermind should just not show up. 
I know. Like, you know, if he didn't reveal himself to these guys, they would still think they were being attacked by tentacles. I'm sure, pretty sure that Mastermind could pr- probably convince them that they were being choked by the tentacles or swallowed by the tentacles, chewed up by the tentacles, or some such thing that would cause them to basically, you know, have a heart attack or some, some sort of, uh, you know, mentally induced uh, uh, paralysis and basically die. But no, he, he just, hey, X-Men. Hey, everybody, it's me. <laughs> You'll never guess where those tentacles came from. And that's when... His illusions, that must be it, psych. He even spells it out. He says, it is a small feat for one with my matchless power to cast illusions. He basically tells them, hey, you're fighting illusions. Yeah, Iceman doesn't figure out anything. He just repeats what Mastermind <laughs> said. Oh, illusions. And that's when Cyclops, the, the smart one of the two, is like, aha, all right, if we concentrate... They'll vanish. This is a trick that has not worked in the past. Curious why they think it's going to work now. Haven't they always needed the professor to kind of, like, help? Yeah, well, it's only ever happened a few times. Maybe they're they're used to it or something, or maybe they have stronger minds than we've seen in the past. That could be. Sure, they've 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 already got uh, um, they're already they have a, an immunity to mastermind. They have a mastermind immunity, as it were. Yeah, making mastermind almost entirely useless. Which is the reason that uh, the mutant master also sent along Eunice, who now shows up with his impenetrable force field and uh, attacks Cyclops. He he does attack Cyclops. Cyclops's optic beams don't do anything, but then Cyclops thinks to himself. I can't touch him, but he can reach me. And when he does, it may be curtains. I thought the whole thing behind Eunice's power was that while he was in his force field, he really he couldn't touch anybody. Theoretically, as soon as uh, Eunice was to get his arms or his hands or his fingers, rather, around Cyclops' neck to kill him, because really Eunice has no other powers other than his force field, at that point his force field would be dropped and Cyclops could blow his head off. Maybe he can control where his force field is, so it's like not on his hands or something. Oh, okay. All right. That's a, that's a potential we haven't ever explored before. All right, I'll buy it. I don't know. It's Eunice. Who cares? <laughs> okay, so move it along, folks. <laughs> uh, to leave us on that little cliffhanger there, what's going to happen between Cyclops and Eunice, and who really cares? We go to uh, the behind the cur- the what do they call it? The Iron Curtain. Where we are enjoying Marvel Girl Beast... And Angel in prison. Yep. With the blob as well. <laughs> He's producing this horrible stink by now. His body's been decomposing rapidly due to the excess blubber on him. Uh, and so they're kind of like, oh, we're stuck here. What are we going to do? But then uh, Marvel Girl says, oh, if I concentrate really hard, I can use my telekinetic powers to um, do s- to get the keys. She's rested enough to use her telekinetic powers, I guess, until now she wasn't able to use them. So she picks up, she, she doesn't pick up the key, she picks up the whole guard. Oh, that's a good point. And the keys come kind of falling out, but... Uh... She brings the guard over to Beast, Beast grabs the guard, and then she grabs the keys. Yeah, that's teamwork. Yeah. Okay. And without Cyclops. <laughs> and so they hurry off, in which we join some... I don't know, some Soviet generals all sitting in a room. At least I can only assume so due to the fact that they all have mustaches. <laughs> it's three General Thunderbolts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they talk about, oh, the X-Men, they were going to assassinate us. We should, we should declare war on the United States. And uh, that's when the Beast swings in. He's all like, no, no, it wasn't the X-Men. We also learn here that uh, the Beast uh, knows Russian off of Learn Russian Fast Records. Kids, get your 33 and a third LP Learn Russian Fast albums only on 12 vinyl records. <laughs> learn such sentences as your much harassed house guest. Uh, uh, and, and maybe I can't speak the language like you. Oh, no, that's Angel. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Angel does say that uh, he can't speak the language, but it doesn't matter because he flies around and punches generals. It must be awesome to go to a foreign country and be like, hey, we're X-Men. I'm going to punch you. Deal with it. They steal the crazy uh, Russian's briefcase, which I guess is what's containing the bomb. 
the hidden time bomb must be in that satchel. So somehow Marvel Girl figured that out, and so she she telekinetically takes it away. Uh, but then, out of nowhere... Uh, oh, the, the blob, he's alive! He grew his head back and uh, <laughs> smacks Beast across the face and says, Hey, I, I got money riding on that bomb. If it doesn't go off, I don't get paid. He doesn't really say that, but he wants the bomb to go off nonetheless, and that's when Beast says, What are you... You harebrained hippo. Don't you realize that you're in danger, too? My mutant body will absorb the explosion, but yours won't. He's grabbing the satchel because he's, he's going to hold on to it until it explodes, I guess. Yeah, that's a good plan. So then we go back to the good old USA, and uh, Eunice is still punching Cyclops across the face. Presumably he's been doing this for like the last 15 minutes while the battle's been going on in the, <laughs> behind the Iron Curtain. Iceman continues to freeze soldiers. But he says, uh, "These, oh, hang on, Psych, I'll be with you as soon as I can. These illusionary bands around my arms are messing up my aim with this snow shovel. So is he not wrapping people in ice, but he's made like an ice snow shovel and he's just bashing them across their bodies with it? Yeah, geez. <laughs> That's pretty violent. Uh, but it's not really facing the soldier because the soldier that's getting hit by it, who, by the way, in the face, is saying, you're fighting a losing <laughs> battle against all of us, X-Men, and you know it. Uh, so, yeah. Ineffective Iceman, as usual. Eunice punched Cyclops. And then Cyclops gets up. <laughs> yeah, Cyclops gets up, but then Eunice is nowhere to be seen. And... He's, um, you know... It's one of those fast action scenes, so he's around there somewhere. Well, Iceman's arms aren't covered in illusionary bands anymore, and now they're just kind of, uh, what are they, just melting ice now? What are they doing here? Good. Quick, Bobby, formed some ice. Good. So they're still freezing things. Here it is, but wait. Oh, I get it. It's a, what, with a, what a, so they created some friction. Yeah, they're, they're basically creating a fog oh. to conceal their escape. Gotcha, gotcha. It's a it's a thick wintry fog. Yeah. Well. Shall we fire it into it, sir? Yeah. No need for that, soldier. It's clearing away as fast as wait, the two X Men are gone. Uh well, yeah. So, at least they didn't accomplish their traitorous mission. But but again, where did Eunice and Mastermind go? Elsewhere. <laughs> okay. All right. But what did they seek to accomplish? If they, uh, so in in behind the Iron Curtain, the Blob's mission is clearly to make sure that that bomb blows up. Eunice's and Mastermind's plan should be to make sure that the filtration system goes off without a hitch. But I don't see any evidence of that happening. Cyclops and Iceman, in a very quick panel, say, "Boy, we sure made it to the saucer pretty quickly. Good thing it wasn't very guarded." Now they. Fly into an Air Force base with a flying saucer, and by saying they didn't guard our saucer heavily, infers that they did try to guard it, but they said, well, geez, I don't know, this flying saucer, I don't know if that was really worth all that many men. <laughs> Let's just put Ricky on it. Ricky, can you handle it? Gee, ball, sure. Maybe they didn't realize what it was. Oh, yeah, could be. Well, that right. thing doesn't look like it can fly. Leave it alone. <laughs> Don't touch it, Bobby. <laughs> what? All right, so then they go back to uh, Eastern Europe, and uh, this is where the Beast used all of, all of his cunning intelligence to convince the Blob that the mutant master is willing to sacrifice the Blob if it means that the bomb will explode. And there's a bunch of dialogue in there. But basically <laughs> the Blob's like, eh, well, I think you're lying, but... You know what? What the heck? I'm out of here. Still, you got a point. <laughs> yep. No use in taking any chances. So he crashes through the wall. Marvel Girl grabs the case and I think flings it over to Angel. Angel flies up as high in the sky as he can and then throws it as far as he can and it blows up above the base. Thus, completely thwarting the mutant master's plans. All of them. Yes, and uh, the Russians realize exactly what's happening despite not speaking English, and they realize that the Americans saved them. Somehow, I think in all the action, they would still be very confused. 
Yeah, and and yeah, and and probably not as willing to forgive the X Men because you know they they are foreign uh, people coming onto their soil and and causing violence. But the one bald general, the Doctor Mindbender of the group, if you will, <laughs> <laughs> who says, uh, "Should we imprison them or set them free?" But they don't really get a choice because by this time, Angel and Marvel Girl are carrying Beast away, and. and uh, Marvel Girl comments a similar comment to one you had a pre- couple issues ago. I thought you couldn't lift both Hank and me. And uh, Beast says, well, he's got all adrenaline, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's all of the uh, steroids I've been shooting him with. <laughs> so let's get back to the saucer and find the mutant master. God, it feels like a clown show. I feel like there should be like some circus music going on the, the whole time. <laughs> this whole uh Quintilogy or however many issues it's been because these guys just keep going round and round in circles. But anyways, uh, we switch targets now to a brown flying ball in which the mutant master is located. Is that what it is? I just thought it was a big boulder. I, it's I a, don't know. It says, meanwhile, <laughs> let's say we use a bit of literary license to look in the mysterious head of Factor 3 who has landed his strange spheroid somewhere in the Midwestern U.S., Oh, I guess it is flying. It is It is weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he, he lands it on, you know, it actually kind of reminds me of, uh, do you remember Mask, that show? Yeah. They had a gas station. It was the Boulder Hill, Hill playset, and the top of the mountain popped open, and there was a gun, but the boulder rolled down. Hmm. No, I don't remember that. I, I do oh. remember that the cars flew. Well, kids, <laughs> go ahead and Google... Um, Boulder Hill playset, and you'll kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about. At any rate, he says, True, I allowed them to escape into my earlier trap so that the military would blame them, but no matter that they've escaped this, I will now move on to the second phase of my plan. So a couple issues ago when he put them on the, uh, what was it, the... Oh, Oblivio Ray. When he put them on the Oblivio Ray. Mm Mm-hmm. He actually planned to let them go. Yeah. It's part of his plan. That's what he says now. <laughs> <laughs> I change my plans like that all the time. I built something, uh, you know, out of wood. And my wife's like, is that, isn't that supposed to be square? I'm like, no, no, no. This is the way I intended it to be all the way. A little crooked. <laughs> it's good feng shui. Just cover it for myself. Don't want to look bad in front of, you know. Apparently, he doesn't want to look bad in front of the changeling. He wonders who the cha- where the changeling is. Where's the accursed changing? He who is my second command. Who talks like that? <laughs> Where is Adam? He who is my co-host for my podcast. The mutant master is very uh, Shakespearean. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's just poor writing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Cyclops and Iceman are the ones who were approaching. Apparently they have landed their saucer in the mountain, I guess. Cyclops is all like, don't go rushing in, Iceman. We've got to play it cool. And then Iceman responds, Leader Man, if there's one person in this combo who doesn't have to remember to keep cool, it's me. He points his thumbs at himself and he says, this guy. (laughs) Uh, So we also get another helpful uh, piece of machinery on the saucer. So remember the saucers were um, left for the X-Men to escape in. It was easy to fly. It's just like flying a helicopter, I guess. And apparently there's also some sensory devices on these saucers that allowed them to find the Mutant Master's headquarters. So it's just, you know, it's like the Mutant Master wants to be found. He let them go so that they would be blamed. Mm -hmm. But he didn't think they were going to stop his plan so he didn't expect them to use these sensory devices. Well, that could be. I mean, he'd be so overconfident that he's like, well, then the, those foreign governments will get them and imprison them. I don't have to worry about it. You know, maybe if, maybe he planned on the blob and Eunice using those ships to get back. This all seems very convenient. Yeah, it's very convenient. Well, anyways, a gun comes out of nowhere and shoots at Cyclops. Cyclops fires back, but blast, he's behind a force field. And that's when Eunice and Mastermind and Vanisher are all there, just ready to pounce. How did they get back so fast? 
teleportation. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe well, the Vanisher, I suppose, could have teleported everybody. Maybe. Cyclops and Iceman are like, oh, we're outnumbered. Get ready. But that's when the other X-Men appear, Angel, Marvel, Girl, and Beast, and they say, who's outnumbered, fearless leader? And the music swells to a crescendo. Marvel Girl finally kisses Cyclops, and the battle ensues. No, wait, that doesn't happen. <laughs> on the next page, on page 10, we see pretty much, well, we see three of the X-Men, and we see now, oh. the, now the Blob is here, too. So the Blob is back. <laughs> yeah, so he must have just been teleported. And the Vanisher's, like, really busy <laughs> and quickly teleporting people around. And it looks like we're going to get the battle royale we've been waiting for. But But then... Professor X shows up. Oh, he's probably joining the battle, right? Well, he says, stop, all of you. There's no need for mutant to battle against mutant. That's the voice of Professor X. Yeah, he could join I've escaped to warn you against your real enemy, the menace called the Mutant Master. What? And the Mutant Master's like, pshaw. Do you think that you'll either, you'll sway my followers to save the weaklings, the homo sapiens? I don't know. Somebody says, oh, Angel says, he's right, Psych, what do we do? Um, oh, and because... Cyclops just says, shh, just, just listen. <laughs> so the X-Men take a seat. Yes, they do. Uh, Professor X, who who has really been out of the count for like the last five or six episodes, says, why do you... Somehow he's free. He was, he was not free, but now he's free. Why do you lead these so-called evil mutants in their unholy crusade against humanity? Why? And the mutant master is like, ah, because we were chosen to be the masters of the earth. Professor X is like, you're lying. I can prove it. When you had the X-Men at your mercy in your other headquarters, why did you sentence them to the Oblivion Ray instead of death? And how were... Okay, so basically he's ratting him out. You let the X-Men go. And how about those Magna Discs that were carelessly left for them to escape? It's because you wanted the X-Men to escape. The mutant, and then Eunice kind of is connecting the dots. Apparently, he's the smart one of the group. The How mutant... is this proof? <laughs> well, I mean, it poor planning or proof, however you want to look at it. Look, the evil mutants aren't very smart. They're, they've been rudderless without Magneto, just kind of drifting like, we should pull off a heist. And then the professor calls Mutant Master his old friend. He does. What does he say? He always says, uh... Of course it's insane, you fools. Don't you see he's trying to trick you? Referring to Eunice's comment about, oh, the mutant master is against us. And that's when Professor X says, again, old friend? Why? Is it so your mutant lackeys won't suspect you? Hmm, old friend. <laughs> Do these two know each other? I'm telling you, it's Magneto. <laughs> oh. Eric, we need to talk. <laughs> the humans aren't that bad. Oh, Charles. So the professor accuses Mutant Master of wanting to start a world war which might destroy the entire planet. Mutant Master's like, I did it for them. Yeah. The the evil mutants of the world. I'm the Mutant Master. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're trying to do something for the holiest of causes, for example, creating a planet of just mutants or homo superiors... Do you consider yourself evil, or do you consider yourself perhaps the savior of of uh, Homo Superior? Well, yeah. So you, I don't know. There's this whole evil thing. So you would never really refer to yourself as evil because you think you're right. Evil is wrong. You would, yeah. Let's just replace evil with misunderstood. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Done and done. Ah, <laughs> uh, but then the mutant master thinks to himself, they're beginning to suspect the deadly truth. I must increase the strength of the force field before all of them attack it together. Angel's like, he's pressing some kind of switch. And then Eunice says, he's panicking. Maybe he is lying. And then mutant master just gives up. He's <laughs> like, attack my androids. He's just like, oh, those two guys, Eunice and Angel, once they fall, the rest fall. You've outlived your usefulness. So he really gives up his cards. He doesn't even try to hold it together. And that's when a whole bunch of uh, androids come out of nowhere and start attacking all of the mutants. And we have our bad guy and good guy team up. Yep. And they're 
knocking over robots and throwing them and smashing them and Vanisher's shooting him with a stupid looking little hair dryer gun. <laughs> I imagine the sound it makes is pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Mastermind, I don't know what Mastermind is doing. He's like, oh, I'll use my illusions on the androids. It's not and, working. Um, Vanisher, shoot them for me. Pew, pew. <laughs> Blob is just like, would you two just go? Angel appears to have lost his wings. Oh, yeah. Well, he's flapping them so fast. That, he's flapping uh, them so fast. <laughs> that they okay. are invisible. Um, yep. So there you go. That, nice man is nowhere to be seen. That's your battle splash. So we turn the page and apparently enter an entirely new comic book because here's Banshee. <laughs> Confused frantic one? They're talking to you, Jeremy. Oh, you know what? I really hate it when they refer to us as frantic one. What does that <laughs> even mean? I'm not frantic. I'm actually kind of upset about how bad the storyline is. <laughs> Confused frantic one? <laughs> I'm frantically trying to finish the comic book at this point so I can move on to the next storyline. All right, fine. So, so Stick around for a couple more pages for nearby. All right. It's the Banshee. He's awake. His Someone released the professor and me from our trance only to quickly wallop me. Oh, that's mysterious. Yeah, weird. But at least the Banshee is free again. So he goes out and he sees the X-Men and the evil mutants fighting side by side against a whole bunch of androids and the mutant master. And uh, one of the androids goes after him, so he does a little sonic scream. And um, blows up the android. It makes the noise. Oh, there's no I in there. I thought they, I thought it was going to be another zit. No, no zit. All right. Anyways, yeah, so the android uh, explodes at apparently the Banshee's frequency. So the Banshee's like, well, might as well try it again. He just starts aiming it at a whole bunch of different uh, androids, blowing them all up. He raises the pitch a little bit. Mutant Master says, no, no, don't you realize what you're doing? Stop, stop. That... Yet even the leather lunged, leather lunged, <laughs> even the leather lunged banshee is unprepared for what happens next, as the movable platform which holds the mutant master begins to quiver, to shake violently, and then, boom, the mutant master turns into a squid. <laughs> yep. Look <laughs> underneath all of that armor. He is inhuman. The understatement of the millennium, lad. That's well, pretty early into, or I guess. I guess it's pretty late into the millennium. They can make that call, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Banshee's still flying around screaming, and the squid thing is like, oh, I can't stand that horrible stone. You must stop. Bow to the will of who comes from the star sun Sirius? So wait a minute. The professor's old friend is from the sun star Sirius? Yeah, I so think confused. it was just a... Uh... You know, like saying, hey, buddy, to somebody you don't really know. Yes. I I tend to do that when I go to Walgreens and purchase some razor blades and say, keep the change, old friend. <laughs> no, I never say that. I never say keep the change for razors. The professor is, you know, he's he's an old man. He's very confused. It's old fashioned. That's That's what they used to say to everybody. Maybe he thought it was Magneto. Please, old friend, stop robbing me. I know I thought it was Magneto. Yeah, it could still be Magneto. We we don't know that Magneto's not a squid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Eunice jumps in and starts punching the squid. And is like, oh, you played us for suckers. And uh, Angel's like, oh, I never thought I'd say this, but slugger one for me, Eunice. <laughs> Banshee continues flying around screaming. In the he raises his scream one octave higher. Just to see what'll happen. Yeah, and the mutant master is, no, no, stop. And then... He presses a button, which causes all the androids to explode. So once again, he just gives up. And then there's two professors all of a sudden. What? Uh, But the one, I think, that was talking to the X-Men turns around and says, Xavier, but I figured... A second Professor X. But which one? I'll show you which one, the other professor says. And then somebody mentally says, Capture the professor at whom I am pointing, Gene. He is the only true Charles Xavier. I'm so confused. 
Capture the professor at whom I'm pointing, Jean. He is the only true Charles Xavier. So Yes, that makes no sense. <laughs> who is the one projecting the mental thoughts, and who is pointing the finger? Well, the one projecting the mental thoughts is the one pointing the finger. And that would be the professor, because only the professor has the ability to project his mental thoughts. Right. I suspect that he meant to say, I am the only true Professor Xavier, but but he says... He's confusing his he-I, so maybe he means that the one pointing at the professor, him, the one pointing, he is the true Charles Xavier. And Gene's like, wait, wait what? Who's the what? Don't at any rate... <laughs> John. One of these guys is not the professor. One of these guys is the changeling. The X-Men, through some illogic, are able to sort this out with no help from Professor X. Because <laughs> he just confused the matter. Uh, the the one... one that is pointing, who is I, is not Professor X. <laughs> who is he? Charles Xavier. That is I. So who... grab him. Who is uh, not me. And me. <laughs> uh, and so they do grab the right one and marvel girl says the one i've grabbed must be the changeling a good guess girl marvel girl the mutant master's right hand man i wait over there the mutant master look what's happening to him he's melting apparently <laughs> somebody found a bucket of water and dumped it on the mutant master's head because he's melting into the floor he uh he distracted himself yeah he he, he committed suicide he he really did give up. <laughs> well, so it, it it turns out that he came from the Sirius, a world called Sirius, to conquer a world. Any world. It didn't have to be Earth, just a world. And he failed. Boy, so, he chose the wrong world. So uh, he... he you, I, I think part of his... Let's look back at this for a moment. <laughs> what could he possibly hope to achieve by even initially engaging the X-Men into his dastardly plan? Like, originally it was like, well, we need the ogre and Banshee to steal liquor and diamonds to engage the X-Men so that we can get the Professor and then perhaps with the Juggernaut. Then they got the Professor and they never used the Professor and they never used the Juggernaut. They captured Banshee, but only, like, knocked him out. And then the master plan was to frame the Earth's missile crisis on the X-Men so that each country would attack each other. I'm so confused. Why would he even engage the <laughs> X-Men? Why wouldn't he just... All these androids and stuff, and he just couldn't have the androids march onto the Air Force Base and start launching nukes? Yeah, you know, if he hadn't involved the X-Men at all, he could have just run through his plan, which apparently didn't need to have the X-Men, and then he could have blamed, you know, the Blob and Vanisher. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Eunice and I mean, he, who cares who takes the <laughs> the fall? And he's got he's got flying saucers, at least two of them, maybe 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 even more. So I mean, he could he could be flying around in those or crashing them into to various, you know, missile silos and I'm so my theory is that he really just wanted to get to this point where he had no choice but to commit suicide ah it was an elaborate suicide scheme gotcha. he just wanted to make sure that people were around when he committed suicide and oh um, wait there's a sentence right here it says the last thing I want you X-Men to know is that I was a big fan of Rube Goldberg and then he <laughs> Wow. <laughs> to which Marvel Girl's like, who? <laughs> All right, so anyways, uh, the, he's he's melted. Um, what about the evil mutants, Professor, including the restored changeling? So we're led to believe that the changeling... Hold on, hold on. Oh. What a world! What a world! <laughs> who thought I could ever be stopped by a little girl and her professor? Oh, what a world! Okay, you may proceed. <laughs> Thank you. So we can, I guess, presume that the changeling's power is that of shape-shifting, even though nobody says it here, which is giving the right. audience a lot of credit because everything <laughs> else in this whole series has been completely spelled out for us. Uh, but the changeling is completely missing uh, 
from this. And the professor says, well, you know, today the evil mutants fought alongside with us, so let them go. They've they've earned their peace for the day. For the day. <laughs> something. So they they take off, and apparently now there's four Magna Cars, and they just leave the um, the sphere behind for somebody else to find, I guess. Maybe, maybe that can be incorporated into some shield technology or something. <laughs> Uh, well, it looks like a big boulder, so it's not like anybody will ever discover it. Oh, perhaps the mask people come along and take it, and they're like, this will go great on top of our playset. Uh, okay, so then they fly off. Uh, the evil mutants take off in two. The X-Men take off on the other two. Oh, wait. That's when the ball blows up. Oh. I, I, but I don't know why, and nobody really says why it does. Oh, wait. Actually, in the panel preview, it says, Eunice says, when next we meet, we'll be enemies once more, but now we must leave. I've set this entire sphere to explode. Oh, yeah. Okay, how convenient. All right. <laughs> Eunice has a uh, master's degree in uh, boulder spheres. Boulder sphere uh, detonation. Technology. Setting, <laughs> yes. So they off they fly, and the sphere blows up, and they get back to the mansion, and Marvel Girl's like, uh, she doesn't ask really like, oh, professor, you've been captured for like six months and you were probably tortured and dehydrated and starved and, 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 and made to do horrible things. Nope. Nope. She doesn't do any of that at all. She's like, Hey boys, look what I have for everybody. <laughs> she must've, uh, she's been busy. Well, the professor has been kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. She's been sewing. That's what keeps her mind off of the horrors of her mentor being captured. That's men for you. A girl gets excited and they think something has to be wrong. I just remembered something. Something great. Just before the episode with the juggernaut. Oh, so she made them before the professor was kidnapped. Yeah, she'd been refining them throughout this process, <laughs> though. You know, adding some tinsel here and there. Uh, I had been hard at work on a pet project of mine with the professor's permission. Here's a package for each of you. And did you find a new costume? And uh, I guess somebody here has a sense of humor because somebody says, oh, no, not the same old costumes with a little new trimming. What'd you do this time? Give us a blue belt? Obviously making fun of the last costume change. And I hope that was Angel because this, <laughs> it's sweet revenge yes. <laughs> on his horrible, horrible costume. Only, only Cyclops gets the new trimmings. Everybody else pretty much gets a radical change. They try them on, and uh, Cyclops is like, our costumes, they're all different. Angel says for the first time he really looks like an angel, but I don't see it. Uh, he, you know what? I think there's a hint of sarcasm because he says, for the first time, dash, dash, I really look like an angel, dash, dash, I guess. <laughs> for the first time, I really look like a moron. I guess. <laughs> uh, and then... Beast is all like glum, 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 and they're like, "What's wrong?" He's like, "Well, I don't know. I don't know if I like these sleeves," <laughs> which I don't understand because his other costume had sleeves. Yeah, go, go look. Yeah, it did. It has it tight. Did. It has tight sleeves, just like this one. So, well, maybe these sleeves are tighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. Too bad they don't know somebody who could sew to loosen those up. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, so Angel says, cheer up, Mr. McCoy. Could have been worse. She could have given, she could have helped you live up to your nickname by knitting you a nice fur outfit with a cute curly tail. <laughs> so Marvel Girls made herself a tiny skirt outfit. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like, if I've got these kicking legs, I'm going to show them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, uh, you know, the, the professor had given her the instructions because we know that Marvel Girl doesn't do anything without the professor's say-so. So He's like, I want the beast to be as covered up as possible. You, on the other hand, <laughs> forget about the elements and the the fact that you're always fighting bad guys and you could be, you know, uh, in elements that are unconditional to miniskirts. I want you to make a miniskirt. And I want you to wear go-go boots. <laughs> Fine. Apparently Iceman gets new boots and also gloves. Yeah. He didn't have gloves before. No. Yeah, you're you're right. Marvel Girl's costume is very uh, ineffective looking. But as you pointed out, she does keep it. Yes. It's a keeper. Anyhow, um so there we go. Next issue, The Mutants and the Monster. So 
I can only assume that that's an escaped monster from the danger room. But yes. we'll we'll see when we get there. <clears throat> uh, but as is the way it is these days, I don't know if that made any sense, but this issue is a twofer. You get 15 pages of the main story, or the bad story, as I like to call it. And then you get like five pages of the B story, which is the good story. <laughs> or the better story, anyways. So where we left off last issue with this story was that Fred Duncan and the professor and Fred Duncan's strange associate were watching movies of Cyclops uh, shoot things. And this 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 particular story is called "Lonely Are the Hunted." It's a, another Stanley edited Roy Thomas Werner Roth uh, production with uh, inking by John Vorpurten and letters by Al. Kurzrock. So, Kurzrock. Yeah. Kurzrock mad. <laughs> Kurzrock smash. <laughs> so uh, a different uh, creative team here. But it basically starts off right where that movie was. So the movie showed a, like a, a, a scaffolding falling because somebody had shot it, but then the scaffolding also being destroyed to save some humans. This takes a place immediately after that where some construction workers are like, where, look over there, that's a kid, he's a mutant, let's get him. So they go chasing him down because he's got those blasted eyes that are... he He's practically a walking death ray. Yes. We should kill him. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so he says, But in saving me, my stray optic blast caused the unit to fall, so I had no choice but to obliterate it. We don't really ever understand why he had the stray optic blast, but he did. But he did He did end up saving him by, by destroying the thing. Yeah, you know, accident. And so he, uh, you know, he he makes a left turn where everybody else makes a right turn. So he's able to dodge the uh, mob. Yep. And then he hops on a freight train to the outskirts of this town. Yes, he takes a train going anywhere. And the professor is still studying Fred Duncan's files. And he says, well... Fred, there's one that is especially interests me, then one named Scott Summers. Don't know why. Oh, let's see. Summers, oh yes, he's the kid with the strange eyes, the one that the optometrist confidentially wrote to us about. Yep. Yep, so <clears throat> this is, uh, he'll make a call to make sure that the boy is ready to talk. Um, and uh, this is where we get the first... Uh, hint or idea or notion I guess that he came from an orphanage mm. don't know why but that's still kind of cool a little bit of pre-planning maybe on, on the Marvel side or at least just giving him some uniqueness uh, we know that this will mean more later but for now he comes from the Sunset Orphanage and they call up the orphanage and they say well this is the orphanage that Scott Summers is from but he's not here he went to New York City, and uh, he has been. They've lost contact with him since then. And uh, Fred Duncan is about to relay the conversation that he just had on the phone to the professor, and the professor's like, "You needn't fill me in, Mister Duncan. I follow the entire conversation mentally." Because yep. he was able to tap into the phone. Wow, <laughs> I know <clears throat> he's probably he was probably listening to like. Fred Duncan's realizations of the conversation, whatever, but I still think it's silly. Uh, all right. It's more, it makes sense, but it's silly. It's a lot more plausible than mentally scanning rooms for trapdoors and such, so I'm willing to not challenge this one. <laughs> uh, all right. So he, he gets Scott Summers' address. Or no, who's that? He gets the optometrist's address, goes to talk to him. And uh, the optometrist reveals that he wrote a secret report about him. Sent it to the FBI. Uh, and that his eyes had a weird glow, and which brought him recurring headaches. No glasses I gave him seemed to help until I finally tried fitting him ones containing bits of ruby quartz. Hmm. And that cured the eye aches? So what kind of optometrist carries glasses fitted with ruby bits of ruby quartz. A desperate one. <laughs> I got these one crazy pair of shades. You want to try these on? Sure. 
It's a good thing it wasn't like the plastic that they put inside those big goofy glasses because that'd have been a whole different cyclops. Now, if you're having headaches, do you go see an optometrist? Uh, well, you know, maybe it's like eye-related head, head headaches. Well, his 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 <laughs> his, his, his eyes were glowing. Yeah. But still, I could make the assumption that, you know, oh, I got these headaches and he keeps going to the doctor and the doctor's like, take some Tylenol. And he's like, no, really, my eyes, my, my head really hurts. And then the the, um, the general practitioner looks in your ears and then looks at your eyes. And like, oh, my God, you son, your eyes are glowing. I'm going to send you the optometrist. But at what point do they make the idea that um, I need glasses? Well, he's an optometrist, Adam. What else are you going <laughs> to do? <laughs> Because he gets the optometrist and he's like, okay, can you read this chart? And he does. And he's like, oh, well, you got 20-20 vision. Uh, I don't know why you're here. I got these headaches. He's like, eh, I got these crazy glasses over here with ruby quartz. <laughs> you want to try these? They're kind of cool. Cyclops like, okay. Hey, my well, headache. He, my headache he tried a whole bunch of glasses as though he was searching for a pair of glasses that would cure the headaches. Yeah. Because that's what glasses do, right? His HMO only pays out if he's able to make a prescription. So he was desperate. He's like, I got to pay the rent this month. I haven't had any customers. Try these. Try these. Try these. Oh, the Ruby Quartz ones work. I ordered those out of a gag catalog. They're yours, son. Take them. <laughs> I don't know, Adam. But apparently <laughs> that's what happened and it worked. Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, Let's see. So Scott Summers is running from the freight train who is who has gone miles away from Washington at this point, and he joins a group of hobos. I want to point out that um, in issue number one of the X-Men, we commented about Cyclops' little bow tie. Mm-hmm. He likes oh. his bow tie. Cause He's wearing it here. He is wearing one now. <laughs> He smells some food, and he yes, he finds the hobos. And he's like, he's all dressed up like a college boy. Surprised nobody here says, "Sit down, college, get yourself some beans." He introduces himself as Bowtie Summers. Hey, I'm Bowtie Summers. Anybody know Railroad Jones? <laughs> I'm Harmonica Hank. Have a seat. Have some beans. And they do offer some food, and he eats it, and uh, they're kind of talking like, yeah, where'd you come from, a boxcar? And they're like, you don't look like you got off no boxcar. What's, what's your deal, son? A couple of other dudes are scheming like, oh, look at him. Look at College Boy over there. I bet you he got money. Let's go. So they jump him. Let's get him. <laughs> and uh, they... Okay, kid, fun time's over. Let's have your wallet and have it fast. Give! <laughs> he turns into uh, some sort of, I don't know. Fast talking twenties guy. Well, he's just like give <laughs> wallet, give. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't have a wallet. I don't have a wallet. You're lying, college boy. Oh, there it is. He calls him college boy. Finally, I'm gonna oh, make you okay. sorry. You, 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 you ever opened your yap? And they pin him down to the ground. And they're like, oh, I'm gonna take them fancy sunglasses so I can clobber him. Yeah. He needs the sunglasses. He's going to clobber him with the sunglasses. You never punch a guy with glasses. Uh-huh. Even sunglasses? <laughs> Even sunglasses. Look, fellas, well, it turns out that uh, luckily three cops were running around the forest uh, looking for <laughs> something to do. And they're like, oh, let that kid go. They've been tracking Scott Summers since the city. Well, actually, they say you match the description of a kid that an APB was pointed out. They don't say that, but I mean, it's kind of what it's kind of inferred mm-hmm. because it, it, it didn't seem like these three guys were looking for Scott Summers. It's just like, Oh, we're here. And this guy looks like a guy that we heard a description about. So Still. they also go to take off his glasses. And if you take off these glasses, it might be fatal, but they take them off anyway. Holy cow. Happens. He wasn't kidding. <laughs> I told you I tried to warn you. And so he shoots some holes in the ground and, and then they all run away, and he's like, just help me get my glasses. Yeah, we're going to need reinforcements. Get the tank! Uh, <laughs> well, they don't say get the tank. but So uh, Cyclops has got his hands uh, over his eyes, so his blasts are now going all over the place. And he does make a mention that, uh, oh, somehow my own body is immune to those beans. It's Those beams. It's good, otherwise I'd have no eyelids left by now. <laughs> That's kind of cool. As he's firing away, Zick, walk. 
He says he has to hide. He doesn't know what he's going to do, but he doesn't want the mob to get him and lock him up in a steel cell and label him a freak, a mutant. Hmm. So, Apparently knowledge of mutants is, you know, pretty widespread so that he knows what a mutant is. Again, I thought at this point, like, there was really no knowledge of, of mutants. And it wasn't until, Apparently not. like, seven or eight where, where the mutant... Uh, hysteria or whatever starts. The professor has published a prominent paper that Cyclops happens to have read in Mutant Digest Weekly. Gotcha. Gotcha. He's like, <laughs> oh, if this professor guy is right, we're going to be big news soon. <laughs> so anyways, he runs and he, he he comes across an old cabin and there's some, I don't know, I guess a mental projection of, come here, lad. Come here. Enter. He's got, Enter. He's got the sudden and urge to enter it. So it doesn't look like it's he's being mentally communicated, just kind of like mentally coerced. And uh, he can't resist it, so he goes inside of the door, and he says, you, it must be you who called me. And the guy says, you have nothing to fear, boy. I called you because I sense that you, like myself, are born to rule. For I, too, am a mutant. Next issue, the first evil mutant. That's exciting. This will be retconned many times, folks. <laughs> uh, or we can only assume that this is the first appearance of Apocalypse. <laughs> or Mr. Sinister, depending Mr. on what Sinister. era you're reading. <laughs> or the High Evolutionary, wasn't he really old too? I don't remember. Anyhow, there you go, folks. It's uh, it's uh, That's it. In the mutant mailbox, there's another letter about empty eye spots really bugging him. <laughs> they got to stop those. Yeah. Don't okay. worry. I didn't notice any of this issue. I wasn't really paying attention. Don Heck is, is racking them up, filling in those eye holes. Ah, <laughs> uh, so there you go, Adam. Um, not much to say there. What did you think of Avengers? Ah, uh, The Avengers was a good movie. I enjoyed it as well. That's our review. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from us. Go see Avengers. From two people who aren't really big Avengers fans. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Name one Avenger that was on that team that you have regularly read their comic. Oh, you have one. I do? The Hulk. Didn't you used to read The Hulk? Well, I did read The Hulk for a little while, but I... not regularly. Okay, I never read The Hulk. I never read any of those. Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk... Or Avengers. I like the Black Widow, although, you know, I don't care too much for Scarlett Johansson, but she wasn't bad. She was good. Eh, eh. Uh, Black Widow never had her own comic book, did she? She had a couple of miniseries. Is, is, is. Now, did she, she... She was not an original Avenger, and I don't even think she was like a Silver Age Avenger, was she? Uh, no, she, she, was, she was not an Avenger, but when Hawkeye first joined the team, I guess... He dated uh, oh. Natasha Romanov. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. All right, well, there you go. I think uh, Hawkeye in the movie was cooler than what I think Hawkeye is like in the comic book. No way, man. Hawkeye in the comic book was like a former villain, and he was a whiny Cap fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I've never really um, read anything. I think Hawkeye had his own comic. I think he was part of the West Coast Avengers at one point. Uh, I've never really read anything with him, but I just get the sense that he sucks. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm about to read the Avengers. I've decided I'm going to read starting from the first issue and kind of check them out. So I, I would like I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> I, well, I don't think you're going to get to Hawkeye until like issue sixteen. Issue sixteen. There you go. That's that's a lot of reading. I <laughs> I too also decided that I will read the Avengers. We should do a podcast around it. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, news in the podcast world. Um, apparently, uh, people have been talking about us a little bit anyways. We got a, a few, uh, what, iTunes reviews? Who gave us iTunes reviews? I know we got three of them. Yeah, so we've got uh, going in order of age, starting from the oldest, St. Valentine, who in a nutshell said, what are you doing? Go download this stuff. 
Yay. And then we had Professor Allen who said, excellent, great podcast from people who don't take themselves very seriously. That's us. Which I believe he is also following our Twitter, which I must apologize for. <laughs> oh, we're going to tweet like mad pretty soon. I, gotta, I can feel some tweets coming on. I, <laughs> I got I a lot of things to say in 42 characters or less. Don't, don't you? Uh, okay, anyways. Uh, Puck Bunny. That's right. Puck Bunny said that uh, he or she randomly found us in iTunes. So that's fantastic. That's even yeah. better. Uh, so, yeah, if you're listening and you're enjoying, I encourage you to go out to iTunes and, and put a little thing on there. Maybe one of these days we can make one of those charts or, or like I had put out the challenge a while back uh, in the top thousand. I haven't checked if we're in the top thousand lately because it takes a lot of work to check if we're in the top thousand, but we're not. What else? Not only that, but we need to make sure we stay ahead of those exasperation goofballs. Yeah, they exasperate me with their <laughs> knowledge of the X-Men. Yeah. Hey, hey, do we have more ratings than they do? We do. We have 17 now, and they, I think, have 15? Take that, exasperations. Yeah, take that. The gauntlet has been dropped, and the torch has been passed. To us, we have more feedback. All right, moving on. Meanwhile, on the Facebook, uh, Arthur W. Painter, who has written us before, writes, there was another podcast doing the same thing as The Danger Room, and I think they started about the same time, but they seem to have fizzled out. It was called Xavier's Podcast for Gifted Younger Youngsters. We found that one, right? I sure. <laughs> <laughs> And um, a few things he liked about it. They would take a look at some of the crazy ads in the issue. We did that once. Ah, yeah, we we pointed out a couple of them, but but that's a cool idea. I like that because they're you know actually I'm gonna I'm gonna draw attention to another one in the earlier like the first twelve issues I would say. Um, there is for like fifty cents you can get like fifty classic um sixties rock and roll tunes. Some of them you know, some of you don't know. Uh, but what I've been meaning to do is take that list of whatever they were offering them because you can't buy that now, of course, right? And put to get like find those tracks and and put them together and like have have what they were advertising back. Mm, in the they season. list out the tracks. Yeah, it's not like who I don't think it's it's, it's like the it's like the song name, but not necessarily mm. the artist. So, you know, yeah, you can get close. Right, right. But anyways. And then you should offer to sell it to people, to our fans, for 50 cents. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't get me in trouble. <laughs> hey, or buy some copyrighted materials. Well, I'm sure they're all, you know, uh, in in free-for-all now. It's That was back in the 60s, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Statue of Limitations. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. No, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, two, they would briefly cover what was happening in other Marvel titles that month, which, let's face it, we're never going to do. But uh, we will cover what's, you know, we'll, we'll mention, as we have in the past, you know, anything that's happening related to the X-Universe. Absolutely. And three, they would cover some major real-world events occurring at the same, at the time, which sounds pretty cool. But, again, we're not going to do that. No, no. No, no, that's that. That seems like that podcast had a, a lot of um, uh, t time. It it only lasted six episodes because uh, of all the effort. They had a really good idea, but I bet <laughs> you they were also doing forty hour work weeks and potentially had uh, social lives outside of the podcast. Now, if somebody can pay me, I'll be more than willing to do all that research. Adam, will you pay yeah. me? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else is going on in the world of... Then he says, great podcast, guys. Hopefully the long stretch of the Neil Adams issues doesn't wear you out. Oh, yeah. So there's a positive side. It definitely won't. <laughs> we won't be worn out. No way. <laughs> um, Are you already worn out? <laughs> I'm pretty well worn out of, of this guy. I'm hoping that Neil Adams is coming quick. Um. Well, mm, eh. not for a while. Oh, darn. Also, we're going to put a little comment, or at some point I'll put a little comment on there, asking for feedback about X-Men Season 1. I didn't know what it was until Adam drew my attention to it, but apparently it's uh, 
It's like the early tales retold, right? Or re retold or rearted? Um, retold and rearted. Oh, okay. You so know, it's 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 basically like they do every couple of years. They'll modernize the old X Men stories. Well, this is the first five X Men taking place in the modern era. Okay, so Marvel Girl's got a cell phone and yeah, Cyclops is on the internet downloading pictures of porn. Yep. <laughs> oh, sweet. So the question will be, and you can feel free to use this as your springboard to answer, is should we cover those two? Is that something that people would like to hear about and see? Because I'd be willing to pick them up and, and uh, read them and, and report back. But I do have to imagine that they might be similar to the first five issues that we did here. But we could do them. Well, let us know, folks, what you think. And, uh, and uh, you know, based on the feedback that we get, we'll, we'll, we'll do something. Also on the Facebook, Brian Voss says, great podcast. I'm on episode 18, about to catch up. Thank you, Brian. And Jason Norton makes a comment in jest about egging exasperations. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Then we open up that whole can of worms. And I, I don't know if I'm ready to I don't know if I'm ready to go there, folks. He was just kidding. So. Oh, okay, okay. All right, then. Uh, yeah, so you can visit us at www.redcatproductions.com forward slash Danger Room. And you can go to the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. And you can follow our Twitter link at Danger Room Go. Yes, sir. Ah, I got it right. And <laughs> you can email us at, at uh, uh, Danger Room at redcatproductions.com, all of which will get back to us. And uh, we'll give you a little shout-out if you communicate with us. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be be a good time. I know. I'm having a good time. <laughs> yes. All right. Anything else? Go see Avengers. Yeah. There's no X-Men in there, but you can go see it. Oh, uh, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>